I remember reading back in 2020 how 26,000 out of 126,000 stores on Shopify are fraudulent stores. Now, um, this is about one out of five store is uh, pretty much a scam. I know it sounds a lot, but that's the reality. And let me tell you that the pandemic did not make it be easier. It actually made it worse because a lot of these scammers have found they have now time to find new strategies to uh, to con people. And today we have a special guest called Matt Vega. He has a uh, 15 years experience in managing digital fraud prevention team. Also, he comes from the military. So he has all the best skills you can think about for detecting fraud. And you might not know it, but in the military, they are really, really, really good about detecting fraud. So what we're going to talk about today, as you have guessed it, we're talking about fraud detection with Matt Vega. And just a little bit about me. My name is Christian. I'm the host of the Business Automation Podcast. I've been doing software development and DSN for about the past seven years. And my recent gigs were mostly with creative agencies and fintech companies. And before we start, I want to say welcome and thank you to all of our loyal subscribers, those that are listening to us. Your support means a lot to us. Thanks also for those listening to us for the first time. Welcome. Just so that you know, on this show, we talk about the different ways you can eliminate manual and repetitive tasks for something a little bit more automated using a software, sometimes using machine learning. It all depends on what is the need. The reason why we do that, it's because we want to make sure that you save on operational cost and also you can reach your goals a little faster. Just a side note, we also offer, I personally offer consulting services for uh RAP, which is Robotic Automated Process, and also Machine Learning Services. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to shoot me an email at christian at christianahijo.com. Let's hit the music. Welcome to the Business Automation Podcast, where it's all about putting the boring tasks on autopilot so you can focus on what matters the most. And now your host, Christian Ahijo. Hi, Matt. Welcome on the show. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for uh, having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So I generally like to introduce my guests, and um, I also like to have them tell a bit of their story so that the people in listening to us can get in, you know, they can feel the story also. So tell us, uh, tell us a little bit of your background. Yeah, so I, I, I started off in the e-commerce space uh, very young, around 16 years old. So that would have been back in around 2003 timeframe. Um, and basically, the, the company that I started with was originally a retail store. And they pivoted and uh, basically launched an e-commerce platform, which was, again, back in around 2003, so early on in the industry. And within about 48 hours, they got hit with fraud. So they learned immediately what it was to, uh, you know, what credit card fraud was. And, you know, as a young kid and, and think of it uh, back then, they, they, this was an older, uh, older couple that owned the, owned the business. And they're like, Hey, uh, you, you know, you may know more about computers than us. Like, why don't you give it a try and fix our problem? So I, I basically got thrown into the fire in the fraud industry as a young kid and had to learn from trial and error, uh, at least at the beginning part of my career. Um, I worked my way up, up the chain of command that company ended up be, becoming very large and, and sold later on. Uh, 
Um, and then around 2010, I would say, is really when my career took off. At that point, I got uh, brought into military intelligence. So, um, you know, joined U.S. Army, became uh, Army Signals Intelligence. Um, I worked a lot with uh, different operatives and different analysts all over the world. Um, I, for the most part, lived and operated out of Germany. Um, so Europe uh, for, the, for the vast majority of my career. Mm-hmm. Um, went into kind of the NSA SIGINT level uh, intelligence operations, um, mostly, uh, mostly on the digital side. Um, and obviously, uh, once when I got out of the military, then I started doing some uh, contracting and consulting, um, you know, all in the counter fraud space. Mostly, uh, mostly in digital and uh, tracking. So, for example, large international organizations, especially counter fraud organizations, or excuse me, fraud organizations, my role was to kind of uh, track down the head of the snake. Um, mm-hmm. and potentially shut down a network. Um, and I could do that through a variety of tools. Um, I can't go too far in depth into the contracting side of things, but uh, yeah, ha- had a lot of fun there. Um, and then I got picked up by a rapid growth travel technology company when I decided to come back to the US. Um, and we started off with just a few fraud analysts. They were they were getting hit with fraud pretty hard. Uh, they were at about a $300 million run rate uh, uh, to, uh, at that point. We built a, a you know, best in class internet national fraud operation in multiple countries, Philippines, Belize, uh, Mexico, uh, United States, Arizona, California. Um, and then basically they got bought out. And then I ended up having to run the company's uh, fraud program that bought them out and, uh, you know, built that operation up and really helped them take to the next level. They were based out of uh, Australia at the time. Um, and, and then I ended up pivoting when the when COVID hit and uh, decided to tra- transition industries. That was the travel technology industry. Um, you know, as you can imagine, that was an industry that was impacted. So I made the call early on in the pandemic to transition. And I switched over to Instacart, which is a rapid growth, uh, obviously, a tech company based in Silicon Valley, San Francisco area. Um, I was uh, leading their fraud strategy. And now I I run BlueSnap's uh, fraud program. BlueSnap is a another rapid growth, best in class payment technology company. Um, international, all over the world, we've got, uh, you know, my job basically now that I got brought in to lead the program is to build the best in class fraud team and best in class international fraud strategy. Uh, So that brings me to today. That's an awesome story coming from the military and have having built all that intelligence uh, throughout the years. Is there something that brought you that kind of, you know, you did you feel it from the beginning or is something that came over the years? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I would say early on in my career, I fell in love with it. And the reason for it is very similar. Before before that, we obviously started this podcast, we were talking about chess, which is strategy, yeah. right? And yeah. in the fraud industry, it's all strategy, right? So when you're dealing with, especially in the digital fraud space, or even in the intelligence space, it's someone out there that thinks they're smarter than you and is always strategizing to one up you or to get around you, Definitely. right? So, so having that, uh, you know, you get the bug really early on in your career, usually, especially in the digital fraud space, when you start strategies and techniques, especially early in the industry, uh, to basically one up these organized crime groups or one up these very large fraud networks or highly sophisticated fraudsters, right? Mm -hmm. There's, there's guys like you that have tons of software engineering and are highly intelligent and, you know, product, product managers, you name it, that are also happen to be, 
you know, part-time fraudsters. And, and those are the guys that really give us a run for our money. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so really, you know, I, I would definitely say early on in my career, I got the bug. That's awesome. I remember that you mentioned how you go after the guy, the head, yep. the head of the snake. Is this something that in 2021 that a company can still hope to do, especially knowing that a lot of these frosters, they have tons of new gimmicks? Great question. So, uh, you know, I would say that I would love to argue there. So there is a lot of gimmicks and you're exactly right. There's a lot of new techniques that like people are seeing there's a lot of new fraud attacks that people are starting to see right there's mm-hmm. a new malware that's out that's basically wreaking havoc for account takeovers um but actually they're old techniques that have been just kind of dusted off mm-hmm. uh, as you know better than most a, a lot of these techniques are uh you know malware has been around forever uh, yeah, well, that's it's not going sure. anywhere it's, it's been around forever it's an old <laughs> technique um, basically what, what they're doing is they're taking older techniques and basically finding new ways to use them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really, if you, if you know how to adapt and you know what to look for, it's still uh, very effective to go after kind of the top tier. You still, um, you know, really at the end of the day, it's about, it, it's about understanding who you're up against, mm-hmm. right? If, if you're up against organized crime, you're up, uh, uh, if you're uh, up against a, a really sophisticated fraud network, you want to, uh, it, that would be a perfect, a situation where you'd go after the top tier within the network, right? Mm-hmm. So if you cut the head off of a large fraud network, you shut down some of the key individuals within that fraud network, it starts trickling down very fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what ends up happening is it usually scares the rest of the group off. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's really kind of the key within the industry is understanding who to go after or what exploit to target when. Mm-hmm. Is there something that whenever the, those frosters look at your company, your business, is there something that makes them think you are a good target? Yeah, th- there are. So um, number one, ra- great question, by the way. Uh, mm-hmm. Rapid growth is one of the things they look for. They look for visibility. Mm-hmm. And most importantly, the uh, I would say the number one thing that they're going to look for is your refund policy. Hmm. Okay. So a company, for example, um, uh, I won't use any of my employers, but like past impl- past companies uh, that I've, I've contracted with, for example, they'll have a very liberal refund policy. Okay. okay? So, so there is a, a, a very large technology company that a lot of people may know, uh, especially in the United States. And basically think of it this way. Um, their refund policy is they are so, so uh, dedicated to growth. They are so dedicated to building the business and creating a, a good user experience with especially with their uh, especially with their online website and their app uh, to where they it's always customer first attitude yeah, okay so fraudsters yeah. target that they look mm-hmm. for those companies that have that customer first attitude and the reason for it is it opens you up for social engineering and then opens you up for all sorts of fun stuff that comes down that pipe mm-hmm. so um, you know not only can they get you on these on the stealing using credit card fraud but they might get you on uh, sending the order a second time so now they now they double tap yeah. you or they might get you in some sort of refund fraud yeah. um the you know there's all sorts of different vectors it's usually not just like i'm gonna buy one thing on amazon with a stolen credit card mm-hmm. they might hit you three or four times back to back they'll wow. get as much as they can in and then they'll get out really quick um and so those are the companies that they look for they look for really liberal refund policies um rapid growth especially high visibility the reason why they look for rapid growth is they know that uh, that large companies especially like during a pandemic, some of these tech companies exploded, yep. right? You, you see it in that's, the industry. Yep. Well, what happens is the fraud technology that's in the company can't keep up. 
So you have oh. a company that you have a fraud tool or a fraud system, right? An ecosystem that's built for a $300 million company. Mm-hmm. That's what the team can handle. That's what the, that, that's what the manual review can handle. That's what the, that the systems can handle, especially companies that don't have machine learning. That's the biggest mistake that they have right off the bat. <laughs> um, right. Machine learning can adapt a lot faster than a human can. Um, oh yeah. And, and so, right. It, it, as you know, better than most. Um, so, so really they look for those companies that all of a sudden have these ex- explosive growth because they know there's going to be huge holes in their fraud logic, mm-hmm. right? Huge holes in their fraud strategy. And it takes months for the company to catch up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you mentioned about machine learning, how machine learning can catch up a little faster. Well, not a little, a way faster than humans. But I do see this trend where a lot of companies, they do have the will maybe to bring in machine learning on board, but they don't have people in house. Is that an advice you can give them um, in their efforts to prevent fraud and, you know, mix machine learning in the process? Yeah, uh, um, ab- absolutely. So, you know, machine learning is incredibly important. It really is a part of the future. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a f- it's not only a part of the future within the fraud space, it's a part of the future within all of the technology spaces. <laughs> yep. You can really apply machine learning to almost all verticals. Um, a perfect example of this would be um, uh, we brought in a senior data scientist to a, co- a company I was contracting with. He was outstanding. He had a, a lot of fraud background. Um, and so really we brought him in to help us kind of build a good in-house machine learning model on the fraud side. Well, the, luckily the vice president of, uh, at the time it was customer service, he said, listen, I've got all of these care agents, right? These customer service agents mm-hmm. that are refunding like crazy. They're sending emails all over the company. It's backlogging us. Could we build a, a machine learning model that helps basically create a decision for our agents? Mm-hmm. That way, by the time the traffic gets to them, whether it's an email or a phone call, they already have a recommended uh, a result that's coming yeah. from the model. So we did that, and the company ended up saving around three hundred million dollars within the first six months. So that's awesome. um, you know, it, it's incredibly important. Um, and I would say the biggest thing that you look for is utilizing the machine learning the correct way. The biggest mistake that a lot of companies make, including large tech companies, they'll bring in machine learning and they will, they think that it's the end of all problems, right? They're going to plug it in and it's done, right? (laughs) And and that's not the case. And, and the other issue is it takes a lot of data to really like build and, and train a model. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so smaller companies, it's not always the best approach to just build a small in-house machine learning model. Sometimes it's better to basically bring in experts that can potentially leverage data from other companies or enrich mm-hmm. the data, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Bring in vendors that can enrich that data. And that's very common in the fraud space. So, mm-hmm. so, you know, basically if I were to plug in a machine learning model, for example, at BlueSnap, we would likely bring in other fraud vendors to enrich that data with more intelligence. That way True. the model will actually produce better results. So that's the big thing is pairing the right people at the right time. And most importantly, enriching the data. Um, it, you know, don't, you know, just because you do a, a, a million transactions a month that that even that might not be enough to to run a, a really effective machine learning model um it, you know when you, you like that's why amazon and google and all these massive companies with trillions of data points that's why they have such powerful machine learning models the more mm-hmm. you feed it the better it is Always. Um, and, 
right? And so I think you know more that than more than more than most. Um, so yeah, that's that's what I would say is is really you, you get the right people at the right time, bring them in. Machine learning is going to change the game. If it hasn't already for your company, I guarantee you it will in the future. Um, if you're not already planning on using machine learning and you're in the technology space, you're wrong. Um, you should have already been doing it a year ago. Um, so I, I recommend catching up. So you 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 say a few times, and I think our auditors should actually uh, this is something really important bringing in the right people but sometimes it feel it feels a little daunting especially for a company that is not as large is sure. there recommendations on how to choose those right people Yeah, I, I would say, you know, what I look for in particular, especially when I'm looking for data scientists, is I look for experience. So not so much experience in regards to like, for example, uh, I'll give you a perfect example of this. Um, I've hired MIT graduates that were terrible. Okay, <laughs> I'm not saying MIT graduates are terrible. Some of them are some of the best in the world. But the, the bottom line is, is, is you want to look for more than just the education. You want to look for more than uh, just the, the company they worked for, right? Maybe go a little bit deeper and understand the projects that they worked on, right? Mm -hmm. So you may be a data scientist from Google. Well, that doesn't mean you're going to be a machine learning expert. I One of the best machine learning experts I've ever met in my life was an 18-year-old kid that self-taught himself. Wow. So, so it, it's, it, yeah. It, and so I would say when you're looking for talent and you're looking for the right people, you know, spend the time to make sure they understand your problem. Um, and, and that may just say, Hey, like let's sign an NDA and a non-disclosure agreement that way in the interview process, we can actually dive into our problem and say, how would you fix this? Right. Here's our problem. What would you recommend? Right. And see mm -hmm. what they say. Um, you, you know, uh, the top tier machine learning guys and the data scientists will will give you a pretty good answer answer at a high level if they know what they're doing on how, what, what approach they would take. They might not say this is the solution, but they would say, this is what I would do to try and find the answer for you. And mm -hmm. that's what I look for. That's incredible. I remember seeing um, an, an, video, an interview on Neil deGreece where he was recommending hiring the people who knows how to get to the answer rather than the one who has the answer. You got it. Yeah. 100%. And unfortunately, this is not something, this is something that you see less and less happening in the tech space. They're always looking for the last guy with the last medals. Yep. <laughs> no, no pun intended. And I think we all always need to go for the one who actually has the thought process. Because as we mentioned, these processors, they always have new gimmicks. Talking about gimmicks, do you have some in mind that you can, uh, that, that our listeners should be aware of at least? Uh, maybe dive in a little bit deeper there. Like when you, uh, when you say gimmicks, it, it related to new what? tactics, like new tactics okay. that forces are, are using. Yeah. There, there, there's a lot happening right now. There's a new tactic that that's very common that a lot of big technology uh, companies and e-commerce companies are getting hit with. Um, basically there is a new type of malware and at a high level, what this malware is doing is basically allowing them to get into the original email address. So for example, if I was the fraudster, I would get into your Gmail account. Okay, and using this malware would would basically grant me access. Uh, and again, I, I'm I'm staying at a high level on purpose. It would grant me access to your uh, Gmail account. I would then go to your e-commerce business. I would do a password reset on your account. That password reset is then most likely, in most cases, going to produce an email that's going to go to the email that I just took over. Yep. I'm then going to capture that new email. I'm going to do a fat force password reset, and then I'm going to delete it out of your inbox so you never even saw me that you never even saw that I was there. 
Okay. Mm -hmm. Then I'm going to, in most cases, they get out of your email and they leave it. They don't even let you know that they, that your email's compromised. They just drop it. Right. So now they've got authenticated access to your new e-commerce account that might have all of your store, stored credit cards. Um, and the reason why it's very, it's more sophisticated than it used to be is the fact that in the past, what we would do when we saw account takeovers, we would just run a script and do mass uh, password resets. Okay. So when you do a password reset, you say, Hey, like we've got 5,000 accounts that look like are, are getting attacked right now, whether it's a brute force attack or it's some sort of credential stuffing attack. Um, we would do, you know, we would obviously do some, run some scripts to, you know, do a, a, a forced password reset. The problem is they've got the, they, they've got the original email as well. So when you do a forced password reset, they're just going to capture that also. Uh, so it, it's, it's, a, it's much more sophisticated. The other thing that they're starting to do is they're being more accurate with their, uh, with their spoofing technology is getting better. So they're able to, instead of saying, Hey, my IP address says I'm in California. Now it's, now you could say, Hey, I'm on East street in downtown Los Angeles. So it is becoming extremely accurate in the spoofing technology. They're able to spoof device IDs. They're able to spoof IP address locations. They're able to spoof the fact that they're using a VPN now in some cases I've seen. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, it's pretty amazing on what they're doing and they're uh, they're daisy chaining in a lot of cases. So the, the fraud industry is becoming more advanced. Um, and a lot of that is coming out of Russia and China for the most part. Um, and, and that's, I would say, the vast majority of the technology in the industry, especially on that, like kind of on the on the dark side of the spectrum, right? On the mm-hmm. on the fraud side of the spectrum is coming out of China and Russia. Um, they, you know, they're very sophisticated. And the way I describe it to, to uh, especially Americans or Canadians or, or any of our, our like European friends is, in China, you start at a very young age. So for example, in the United States, I couldn't say, hey, five-year-old, you're going to be a cyber crimes expert. And I'm going to put seven days a week, you're going to spend 10 hours a day learning how to code, right? Well, in China, that's exactly what they do. Um, And and so by the time they're 18, they're 10 years above our 18-year-olds. So it makes it very challenging. Definitely challenging. I mean, these guys have been spending years doing what they do. And, uh, yeah, we're quite grateful to have people like you that can catch these people. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah, we'll I hurt our business. <laughs> and I, I, I remember back in, let me say a few years ago, 2FA was a big thing, especially yep. in those cases of account takeover, because at least with 2FA, you can hope that the client has a certain confirmation. You kind of have this certitude that the guy logging in is the right guy. Is this still the case? It is the the I mean two factor authentication has a purpose. The problem is um, you, you know two factor a two factor authentication works if you use it effectively. Um, so the key is where you plug it in within that funnel is the most important kind of the the secret sauce of two factor authentication. For example, if you're doing a 2FA, which I've seen on a lot of e-commerce platforms at account creation, well, that's a joke. That, that That's completely useless. You're wasting your time and resources. It's going to do nothing. Hmm. Now, if you're plugging in two-factor authentication when you see a new device fingerprint attempt a login, mm-hmm. that's a different conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Then you're using 2FA more effectively. Um, I would say on a, a step up from two-factor authentication that's much more, uh, more, much more sophisticated is, is MFA, mm-hmm. multi-factor authentication. Um, that's kind of now the industry standard above a 2FA system, which would be like a traditional text message. Uh, multi-factor authentication is obviously like one tier above. You're actually authenticating through more than one, basically, uh, w- more than one stream, right? So mm-hmm. more than one, it could be a text message, an email. It could be 
a device ID. It could be a push notification and a text message. There's multiple, uh, there's multiple MFA systems out there. You mentioned about, uh, well, thanks for the, for the MFA, um, I mean, deep dive, because a lot of people don't make the difference and don't understand where you should plug it in. Some people just For think, sure. as soon as you have to FA, you're safe, but not really. <laughs> <laughs> not really. Yeah. So about device, device fingerprint, can you elaborate a little more into that? Because sure. a lot of our listeners, they're not that technical, but they actually need to know these things if you do want to survive. Uh, agreed. Um, so, so think of it at, at, at a high level, right? So, dev- device ID is a unique, uh, let's call it a serial number that's that's associated with the cell phone or the computer that you're using. A device fingerprint is a combination of multiple data points that are directly related to that particular device. So I'll give you an example. Um, so let's just say that my when you capture my device fingerprint and I'm spoofing my device, okay, my screen says, let's just say, I'm going to say it's got, it, it says it has 120 pixels. Obviously, that's, that's so far from being right. Mm-hmm. But let's just say it has 120 picture, pixels, right? Well, the system can then run a check and say, hey, this guy is saying that he has an Apple iPhone with 128 pixels, but the iPhone is only created in 127 pixels, mm-hmm. right? So, so they're unique identifiers. And what ends up happening is you gather in, say, 150 data points about that particular phone, and that creates a unique signature just for that device. So I can actually say, even if you're spoofing that device and you're trying to make it look like someone else, right, mm-hmm. I can catch it later on down the funnel. So the device ID is like, think of it as a serial number for the device, but it can be spoofed and it can be changed. A device fingerprint is a, is multiple characteristics and multiple data points that are woven into a, a basically one bundle to create a fingerprint. That's quite ingenious. I think it goes a, a step ahead of just trying to see um, the device ID or the device serial number, because now it gives you a pretty good idea of the kind of devices the real user is using. It reminds me of a technology that uh, Splunk have made in place, I think back in 2009. You're right on the money. Yeah, where they were actually looking at how the users were using their mouse. Rather than just relying on the username and password, they will see how the users are using mouse and clicks and determine, is that a real user? And I think this is the kind of skills that we need nowadays. Is there, um, whenever we're going after fraud, obviously we need the right people, as you mentioned earlier. What would you recommend for companies trying to go, you know, trying to eliminate fraud? Should they build in-house solutions or should they bring in uh, people from outside or maybe softwares? Yeah, the, it, it's a it's a question that I get a lot, especially in the strategy area of fraud. Um, so you know, my background, I do a lot of fraud strategy, which is where I you know I get brought onto companies to kind of build a build a best in class solution. Um, and, and so usually my answer is this: is if you have the resources and the data, you can build a, a best in class in house solution. But usually the learning curve is so so severe that uh, it, it's usually financially not, it, it doesn't usually pan out very effectively. Mm-hmm. It, you're much better 
off bringing in um, a third party, like like a professional fraud vendor, whether it's riskified, forwarder, threat metrics. Uh, you know, there's a ton out there. Um, you, you know that that this is all they do, and they have data streams from uh, obviously hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of merchants. Mm-hmm. So that's the other benefit. But when you look at basically an in-house solution versus an external solution, is an external solution will have basically merchant accounts uh, by the hundreds, if not thousands. So I'll, I'll use Riskified as an example. Riskified has hundreds of huge merchants that are plugged in and using their system. So when I plug in, their models are being trained not just using my data, but using the data of all of their merchants. So basically, if by the time a fraud attack gets to me, it has already passed through the funnel multiple times and passed mm-hmm. through the models multiple times. Mm-hmm. So you're more protected because of the fact that you have that basically grouped data. Um, and so big companies, if you're if you're a very large multi-billion dollar tech company, yeah, I would say get some get some really top tier uh, you know machine learning guys, get some data scientists. And you, and you can create a really fantastic product. Um, it, but I would say if you're on the smaller end, especially in the uh, especially at the merchant level, um, right? You're not you're not a, a you know an IPO company yet. Uh, I, I would say you're better off bringing in like kind of a, a best in class fraud operation uh, fraud vendor. That's pretty good uh, of an advice. I also see that um, a lot of the, these teams they rely so much on the technical people and they forget about the people that have the foot on the ground. And I recall listening in one of your part, in one of the episodes, uh, you were on fraudology, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. You were mentioning about trusting the people that have the foot on the ground. Would you give some advice in regard to that? Yeah, so so in, in all companies and, and even in all teams, especially in the technology space, um, as a manager or as a strategy leader, right, the boots on the ground will always see things before the managers and the decision makers, right? And so this is very common. Like, I'll, I'll give you an example in the military. So um, basically, the military in particular, like the special forces or intelligence community, use something called decentralized command. That means that they give the authority and the power of the individual units and commanders that are on the ground to make decisions on behalf of the United States Army, right? So it's decentralized command. So the reason why it's important is they may be able to see things and react to things faster than you, right? As, Mm -hmm. As a leader, as a manager, as a company owner. Okay, mm-hmm. so the, it's so important, and it's something, especially in the fraud world, that's 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 very. It's people forget about it more often than they really should. And basically, your average IT kid that's right out of high school that you bring in, he might save the day. Mm-hmm. So, you know, don't discredit him just because of the fact that it's his third day on the job. Um, I can't tell you how many times, and I, I say this time and time again, I, I have worked on a massive, you know, five, 10, $20 million hole in an operation. And the kid that I hired three days ago with no experience solves the problem. Wow. Um, so, so, you know, it, it's, it's not necessarily about bringing in the experts. It's about utilizing the resources that you have, right? It, improve the communication chain, right? The, the bottom of the team, the, the entry-level analyst, the entry-level uh, machine learning uh, specialist, the data scientist, all the way up to the, to the top-tier guys, should have just as much weight on your operation as a manager or a leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you should include those team members when you're making decisions, um, the, you know, especially on the strategy side when you're like, okay, listen, we're, we're getting hit with fraud, right? Our company, we're a small e-commerce company. What do we do, right? And a lot of times they don't include... 
the people that are, you know, that because it's an analyst, right, or it's because he's an entry level, a minimum wage employee, they don't even think to ask the questions of, hey, like, hey, let's bring him into this large company strategy meeting. Because of the fact that, number one, they, they're they like, hey, he's not a manager. He doesn't have years of experience, right? I know more than him. I'm a business owner. I know my business better than him, mm-hmm. right? And the answer is like, okay, sometimes I'll buy it. But in most cases, the answer is not. It's not true because they might be seeing a trend that that they might not be given the platform to be able to call it out. Sure, sure. And talking about the ones that are on the, on the, on the, on the end of the team, let's say, customer care um, agents, is there something that they should be trained to look at, maybe to patterns they should be trained to, to recognize so that they help the company? Great question. Uh, number one, absolutely every single, especially if you have customer facing customer care teams, right? So a customer facing team, um, the number one thing that you want to, you want to train your team on is called social engineering. Mm-hmm. So social engineering is a, a, a very common and growing fraud pattern within the industry where basically think of it as this. I, I will call and say, uh, I'm Brad Pitt, right? So Brad Pitt <laughs> has an account at Amazon. Um, I will call. Amazon and say that I'm Brad Pitt. And I might do things such as like have a screaming baby sound effect in the background. And I might pretend like I can't hear the agent and be like, hey, um, you you know, I I just I can't remember what phone number I used on the account. I can't remember the email. Can you just tell me what the email was the first part, right? You don't have to give me my full email. I'm just trying to log in. And they say, okay, it's Brad Pitt. Uh, Okay. And, 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 you know, at, and they don't give you the rest and you go, okay, thank you. You hang up, you call right back two seconds later. It's going to be a new agent this time. Right. And Hmm. you're going to say, Hey, I've got an email. It's Brad Pitt, but I can't remember if it's Gmail or Yahoo or MSN. Do you mind giving me that? They'll say, okay, yeah, it's, it's Gmail. You're right. Okay. Then they'll do that multiple times until they have all of your information and successfully log it. Uh, so that's social engineering in a nutshell. Um, sometimes, uh, especially if it's a real, if it's an untrained agent, they can actually get all the way through the funnel with one person. I've seen it time and time again. I have a, a friend that's an in industry uh, who trains in social engineering, and basically one of the one of the ways that he teaches managers, uh, especially in the care teams, is he will ask them for what their cell phone provider is. So in the United States, we have like AT and T and Verizon, Ver, uh, Verizon, excuse me, and, and T Mobile, a lot of others, but in Verizon in this case. Uh, be, because of the fact that this didn't happen to Verizon, he will say, okay, so what, what provider do you have, right? Who's your cell phone carrier? They'll say Verizon. Um, he will call Verizon. He will, right in front of them, he will be able to access their account. He will change the phone number on the account to his number. He'll change the email address. And now he owns that account, right? He may, and, and a lot of times just for fun, he'll even change the plan they're on. So if they're on a unlimited plan, he'll back them off into like a $10 plan just for fun. Um, <laughs> and, and so you, you can get a lot of information and if you can access someone's account and even though you're like, Hey, we don't store information. What a lot of people don't realize is they're not necessarily just looking for credit card data. They might be looking for personal identifiable information, right? So, so PII, there's a lot of PII out there and that could be a birth date. It could be a, you know, an address on file, right? So now I've got your credit card that I just bought on, on the dark net, Right. But I don't have an address associated with it. So if I could social in my engineer myself into a McDonald's account, it could be something that's completely has has absolutely no affiliation. I can capture that address now. And now I've got a ready to use credit card. 
So uh, that's the biggest thing is train your teams, especially the customer care agents on, on the signs that they're being, basically they're, they're being hacked, right? Mm-hmm. It's like a, it's like a human hack, yeah. uh, right? There's certain key indicators and you need to know what to release. It doesn't matter how much stress. And that's a technique that they use a lot of stress. Like I said, they use the screaming baby sounds. They use all of these things to make it sound very stressful and they just want to get off the phone. Most agents, they, 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 they just don't want to deal with it. And it's mm-hmm. like, all they have to do is tell you if it's a Gmail account or a Yahoo account and I'm done. Uh, it, it's a no brainer. Um, right. And they don't want to sit on the phone and say, you know, I'm sorry, because guess what, what's going to happen if, if they say, no, I can't give that to you. They're going to say, okay, I want to speak to your manager immediately. This is ridiculous. Right. Mm -hmm. And now they become scared and then they end up releasing the information. So those are the two, you know, at a high level, uh, some big things that you look for. And of course, there, there's some other indicators, but that's where I would say bring in someone that's an expert. I mean, right from there, that's, uh, that's a big, that's good information because, I can imagine how easy it can be to get those information as long as you have just a little bit of it so yep. that the engine agent gets convinced. And I wonder if there can be some something simple, even if they don't have a machine learning system yet, maybe they can just place some sort of a dashboard when the when is the customer, when did the customer call last, when is the last time he sent an email, so they can see if there is a pattern. Is this guys have been trying to reach out ten times this day? Maybe that's a red flag. You, uh, you couldn't have said it better myself. Um, so you're exactly right that that would be step one, you know, to, as a preventative solution, basically what you can do is you log when a care agent opens that particular customer's account, right? So Mm -hmm. today at 3.30 PM, this account was opened and then someone calls back. And then when the agent goes to pull the account with the person on the phone, they say, wait a minute, this was accessed two minutes ago. Then they say, Hey, did you just call call us? And if they say no, right now they know there's something weird going on, right? Mm -hmm. If they say yes, then what you need to do is reach out to the agent and say, Hey, did you just have this person on the call? Like do the, do a little extra research before you give release information. And so having a tracking system, it doesn't have to be so sophisticated where they're able to tell when someone emailed or when someone called, but all you need to do is just put in a simple list that logs when someone opens a personal account, right? So if I open your, if I'm a care agent and I open your, you know, whatever account, the personal account that you have at Spotify, Mm -hmm. right? There should be some sort of indication indicator on there that says, you know, uh, Matt Vega opened, opened your account at Spotify at 3.31 PM, right? And then that way, the next agent knows if they're being social engineered, because you're going to see all of these different hits, mm-hmm. right? And it's going to come back to back and back to back. And a lot of times, mm-hmm. um, they, the uh, most, most, most common is females. So females will actually be the ones con- doing the social engineering, um, mm-hmm. you know, care agents. It, it's just a, a, a scientific fact that uh, the female have a tendency to be have a more trusting voice, especially on the phone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so they'll use females to especially talk to males, they might be a little flirty with them. And that's one of the social social engineering tactics that they'll use to try and pull more information. And they'll say, you know, like, yeah, like, I, I forgot my, my account, like, oh, where are you located? You know, they, they might do a little bit of flirting with them, and then try to get as much information as they can. And the second someone pushes back, they hang up the phone, and they call right back a second later, and it's going to be a different agent. 
And they'll just keep doing that and doing that and doing that until by the time they get to the last agent, they know everything. They know the full email address. They know the phone number on file. They know the first last name. They know the address on file. And, you know, there could be some sort of end result that they're trying to get into. Like, for example, place an order and, you know, place a $500 order and send it to, you know, a BS address where they can then capture it, uh, like in a Dropbox. Um, but Or it could be just simply tr- like trying to capture that data for resale. There's a million reasons why they use it. Yeah, and you mentioned how they can call and call and call. Because after the first call, they have one information, they actually become more trustworthy on the second call. And they can leverage on the fact that whenever they say, "Uh, let me talk to your manager, agent gets scared. Is there something that can be done about that? Yeah. So, you know, again, like that's where a, a, a very simple tracking system can uh, can play a big role here. Obviously, if you're a large and professional operation, I would tell you machine learning is a very simple answer here. It's like a no brainer. Mm-hmm. Uh, machine learning can give you all the answers you'll ever want and they will solve this problem um, if you know what you're doing. Um, right. But but just so you know, and, and I want to call this out, especially for companies out there. Um, the biggest companies in the world sometimes still have this exact problem and still to this day do not have machine learning. So you would be surprised at how many big tech companies out there are actually years behind where they should be. Mm. Um, You know, I won't call out any names, but there's, there's some big ones out there that people are fully aware of that are years behind where they should be on their counter fraud operation. Mm. They're years behind where they should be on the machine learning side. Um, And and I think that um, that's a really, something really important to, to call out because even a small operation, you can make a substantial impact in preventing fraud and preventing the release of your of your customers' data, um, you know, if you get breached and your accounts go on on you know the deep web, um, it, it can be very devastating financially, and it can be very devastating for your customers. You can learn, you can lose a lot of trust. Um, you know, the the Equifax breach was a perfect example of this. Yep. You know, there was a massive uh, Equifax breach years ago, and and you know they for a while they were treated like a pariah in the industry, right? Like no one wanted to talk to them. Yeah. Luckily, they they put in a, a best in class, uh, you know, security tools, they brought in the machine learning guys, they brought in the the right people to, to really give it a facelift. And now from what I hear, it's, it's kind of, you know, best in the business. Um, but, you know, even a small operation can make a big impact as long as they, they really reach out, communicate with the industry. Um, the, you know, the other thing I'll call out there is the fraud industry is unique because of the fact that you have no real competition. So in business, right, Apple is not going to call Samsung and say, hey, Samsung, what are you guys doing on your new phone? Like any technology I can borrow, right? Like it just will never happen, right? (laughs) So, but in the fraud industry, it's different because my competition is the fraudster. Right. So it doesn't matter whether it's Google or Facebook or Instacart or Blue Snap. Right. We're all fighting the same people. Right. Mm-hmm. Our, our competition is the fraudster. The bad guys. Um, it, right. Is, is the bad guy. Right. And so I can call my my, the, you know, my friends and connections in the industry and say, hey, we're getting hit with account takeovers. This is what it looks like. Have you seen this? And they'll be like, oh, yeah, we saw this two months ago. This is what we did to, pl- to plug the hole. And it's done. So that's where, you know, communicating with the industry is really important, especially in the cybersecurity, machine learning, um, right? Like unless you're creating some new machine learning model that no one's ever seen before in your Google, um, that that would be a different case. But in most cases, you want your people to collaborate with the industry. You want your people to big, like, you know, participate in group events. You want them to, because guess what? They're going to learn new tricks Mm -hmm. and they're going to do new, you know, new skill sets. They're going to figure out a new way to maybe use a machine learning model or use a new technique that they never thought of. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where collaboration is so important. And you saying about the techniques that already exist, what it means in my mind is the wheel has already been invented. And that that's a good news because it means the cost of producing that wheel is actually way cheaper than if we had to invent it. But unfortunately, a lot of these big players, as you mentioned, they're years behind. And I suspect it's because they think the investment to get there is quite steep. It's quite high. I agree. And they don't see what is the end result. Is there something you can, is there an advice or is there a way that they should go about it to make it, to make the learning curve smooth, to make the investment reasonable? Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing is, right, is is like it's ROI at the end of the day, return on your investment, right? So mm-hmm. when you look at a particular company or a particular problem, right, you say, okay, well, we'll use fraud for an example, right? Mm-hmm. Just because that, that this is my industry. So mm-hmm. um, I, I'm a company, I'm a business owner, and I say, you know, I've got a, let's just say I, I lose $20 million a year. It might not be my money, but my customers may lose $20 million a year, or in most cases, the merchant is responsible. So I lose $20 million a a year to fraud. Okay. Mm. How much is it going to cost to solve that problem using machine learning? Right. So really, really understand the cost. And the other thing is, is like bring in a consultant like you, Mm. right. That is a perfect example of like bringing in a machine learning guy, bring in someone in the, in the industry, say, Hey, here's my problem. How much am I looking at to kind of bring in a solution or bring in a team to really build this out? Right. Mm-hmm. Get reach out to the industry. Like, don't be cheap. Go go find the, the consultants and, and the contractors out there that know what they're doing. Bring them in. Ask them for advice. Right. A lot of there's a lot of guys out there that will do a Google search on machine learning and see it costs 100 million dollars and think that like they'll never <laughs> afford it. And it's just simply not true. There's very Obviously. inexpensive models <laughs> out there. And by the way, the algorithms already exist in most cases. Mm-hmm. So a lot of guys are, are, you know, especially at the very, very low end. End, they'll literally just plug in a wheel that's already invented, yep. right? And, and just kind of give it a give it a head start. That's mm-hmm. all they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's very effective ways to use it, especially on the technology side of, of, of the house. When you get into uh, when you get into companies that aren't uh, data heavy, right? They're not really in the tech space. They're more like retail, and they don't have a lot of information about their customers or about their products. That's where it gets a little bit hairy, and that's when you start getting into higher costs. But if you are in a technology Technology space, whether it's e-commerce, whether it's payments, whether it's it, it doesn't matter Even what fintech. it is. You, you, you got it. If you're fintech or you're in the tech space, uh, like you, you know, you're behind already. You're you're behind the curve if you're if if, if you need me to tell you this, basically. <laughs> and that's really really important. Uh, all to all our listeners, you need to get ahead of the game because everybody's home now. It means you're receiving a lot more transactions that you used to. Um, that means also a lot more fraud, even if you're not aware yet. But trust me, at the end of the year 2021, you'll have a pretty good idea. Now, I remember at the beginning of the episode, you were talking about fast-growing companies are really good targets for these for these fraudsters. And every every entrepreneur wants to grow fast, want to get to the to the end line, the first, the quickest possible. Although they enjoy the the, the journey, what are the things that they need to look for? How should they cover their backs so that nothing wrong happens, nothing disastrous happens? Yeah, g- great question. Um, number one, um, if you are in a rapid growth scenario, especially fintech or technology, and you're seeing explosive growth because, uh, in some cases, because of COVID, right? There's a lot of businesses mm-hmm. that be like, for you know, a, a lot of, like, like some of the technology that we're using today um, that are seeing explosive growth because people are pivoting to a remote work environment, right? Mm-hmm. 
So if you if you happen to fall under that or you have an e-commerce model that's falling under that and you're starting to get explosive growth now or in the future, you always want to prepare for the problem before it ever gets to your door, right? And so the, what's so important and the biggest mistake that companies make is they plug in the solution to their problem after the problem has pummeled them. So, right after they've already had a hundred thousand account takeovers and they've lost $5 million to fraud, that's when they start reaching out to try and put in a, a fraud prevention system, right? Or that's when they start thinking about hiring a fraud manager. Um, you know, uh, 100%, I don't care what company you're in, you're going to get hit with fraud. That's I, for sure. I guarantee it. I would, I, I would bet my career on it. You are going, I don't care how safe you think you are. You're going to get hit with fraud, um, right? You're going to, you're, you're going to get hit with some sort of cybersecurity attack, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, brute force attacks, or it could be some sort of credential stuffing issue. Mm-hmm. It could be, uh, there's a million things. Phishing. Right. You got it. Yeah. And, and it, it's no matter what happens, it's going to happen. So the key is making sure you get the solution in play before you ever need it. Um, so I, I would say that there's different tiers of products, but I would say at the low end, um, you know, you should have some sort of technology to like, especially if it's a transaction based, right. You're running credit cards. Mm-hmm. You should have some sort of basic technology that's going to vet those transactions to prevent fraud. And by the way, all of the big, uh, fraud companies in the world, the, the vendors are all machine learning, every single mm-hmm. one of them. If, if they're not machine learning, I'm going to be, you know, it, it just basically doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. They, it used to be rule engines, which would basically be like, if then, then this. Yeah. Yeah. So, right. Right. And so mm-hmm. that is now kind of, uh, that's like old school. That's like ICH in, in the fraud world. <laughs> right. And so the, the best approach is actually a hybrid approach, but that's a, a whole different conversation. But basically, you know, the key is, is getting that technology in now before you actually actually need it. It's, it's, it, a lot of people are scared away by the cost because they're like, Oh, I don't want to, I don't want to pay two pennies a a transaction for a fraud prevention solution. I don't want to pay five cents per transaction because it does over the course of a year uh, add up in in some cases, especially in, in higher, you know, uh, higher volume companies, but the amount of money that it saves you in the long run, it always plays out. I have never in my entire career seen a company that decided to opt out of a fraud team or opt out of a fraud solution and then not regret it every single day until I fix the problem. It's as if saying, hey, we're going to get rid of the police and just hope that there will be no violence in the city. You got it right (laughs) on the money. Exactly. And you need, I think, one key takeaway to the last part of the the episode is you need to invest in your fraud strategy, in a fraud solution so that you don't get hit. Because there is the fact that you're going to lose money, obviously. You're gonna, you might have some accounts be taken over, but there is also the cost of reputation. You really want to risk, risk that. And I don't think there is an amount of money that can be put on your reputation. Um, this was Matt Vega with so much amazing advice. I have to say I've learned a lot from this interview and uh, it's really, really valuable because all these points, they are relevant across time because you're not giving the, the last tips, you're giving strategies, you're giving skills. And I wonder if you have, uh, if there is a way that people can reach out to you if they have any questions. Yeah. uh, And again, it's been a pleasure to to be on here and uh, looking forward to communicating more and talking more in the future. And uh, if anyone wants to reach out to me, if they have any questions or they need uh, some advice and they want me to point them in the right direction, uh, LinkedIn is probably the best approach. It's uh, uh, www.linkedin.com slash IN slash MV Intel. 
Mike Victor Intel. Uh, so basically Matt Vega Intel is, uh, is my uh, LinkedIn account. You just search Matt Vega. Uh, you should be able to find me on there. And uh, yeah, happy to help in any way I can. That's really great. I remember getting in touch with you. You were so nice. And let me tell you guys, he's professional. He has experience. He comes to the military. And a lot of the things we see in the digital world today comes from the military, if you guys didn't know that. That's so right. he knows what he's doing. Um, thanks again for listening, guys. If you like this episode, please subscribe. Give us a five stars review. And uh, this was Christian, your host, signing out.